Welcome to Celebration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us. We want you to share this broadcast with as many people as you can. We believe that it will bless and encourage us all in this season. Well, this is the last in a series that we've been doing on the subject of how should we then live. And I believe that uh, if we come to grasp in our nation and in our own lives, with the issue of this idea behind, I can live however I want to, once saved, always saved. Uh, If we can wrestle that to the ground, I think it changes our paradigm. Now, I know that we've grown up with Calvinism in our country, and uh, that basically has been a a doctrine that was uh, speaking to an heir back in the 15th century, 16th century. But the, the bottom line is, for you and I, that has now led us to a place of kind of an abuse of grace. And so uh, the title of today's message is The Abuse of Grace. And over the past few weeks, uh, I began to lay this foundation of truth regarding the erroneous teaching that is centered on the idea of being eternally secure, or what is known as once saved, always saved. Now, we have primarily looked at the writings of the Apostle Paul. The, uh, but in this message today, I, I want to look a little bit more at Paul, but I want to take a look at the Apostle Peter. And he had a very strong forewarning of what would happen to people who abused grace. Now, just before we look at Peter's warning, open your Bibles and let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Uh, this is another commonly mis understood passage of scripture. In fact, we often quote one verse of this passage that we are all aware of. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And then we hang our hat on that. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Well, this is a truth. It is true, but it must be read and understood in the context of the verse or on the verses on either side of it and on the chapter and the book that it's written in and the chapters on either side of it. You see, without that, we risk the air of believing an idea to be true that is not because it's taken out of context. So Romans 8, 35 through 39 says this. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, at first glance, uh, this passage would appear to prove the once saved, always saved position. But there's a horrible flaw in people's reasoning concerning this text. It is true that no human being or any other creature, no demon, no uh, power or principality can forcefully take us away from our God. We have seen this truth expressed in the teaching of Jesus himself. No demon, no person can force us into hell if we're blood-washed, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit, holy living children of God. You see, the defective logic of those who use this verse incorrectly 
is easily exposed. Uh, and in fact, let me use a series of questions to help you think this thing through. First of all, does Jesus love everyone? The answer is yes. Did Jesus die on the cross for everyone? Well, of course. The answer to both of these questions, questions is an unequivocal yes. John 3.16 answers both of these questions, but it also destroys two of the main tenets of Calvinism. Limited atonement and unconditional election. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me ask you one final question. If Jesus does love everybody, by the way, he does, then does that mean that everyone will go to heaven? See, the answer to that question is obviously no. This is why Jesus said in Luke 13, 24, he said, strive to enter into the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. You see, the truth is that Jesus will love everyone for all eternity, even if they're separated from him forever. You see, a parent who loses a child in a tragic accident or by an illness or some other way, maybe even through their rebellion, doesn't ever stop loving that child, even though they're separated from one another. In a like manner, Jesus referred to sin as a horrible sickness that requires repentance and requires his blood for our healing. Without receiving his cure, many people that he loves will be separated from him forever, as many already have been separated. Romans 8, 39, the Bible says that none of these things mentioned shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is absolutely true. God will always love his children. But the problem is, his love does not determine where they will spend eternity. His love is only provided part of the way to eternal life. It's our responsibility to respond in faith to his offer of salvation. Can you see the picture? You see... This is why Jesus commanded us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. It was even the Apostle Paul who told us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then he also said this, he says, how shall they hear without a preacher? So you and I must go preach the gospel to at least give others an opportunity to receive his love. I think it's in Romans 5 and verse 8, it says, but... God commendeth his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were sinning, while we were openly in defiance of him. I don't know. As you can see, God's love doesn't automatically transform a person into becoming a born-again Christian. And his love doesn't make them go to heaven. You see, Jesus loved us while we were still in sin. Yet, if we didn't repent, without repentance and without faith being mixed with his love, our sin would still separate us from his presence forever. In fact, the truth is evidenced already in this world by thousands of people who die and go to hell every day in spite of the fact that God loves them. So this truth also applies to any believer who goes back into habitual lifestyles of sin 
If you go back into a habitual lifestyle of sin, you are rejecting what Jesus did. You see, if you do this, you're still loved by God, but that does not mean that this Christian or this person will go to heaven when they die or when Jesus returns. There has to be a genuine repentance. There has to be a faith demonstrated by the backslidden Christian if he or she is going to make heaven. The prodigal son. He came to himself, the Bible says, and humbled himself. And through repentance, left his sin and went home. See, his father did not receive him when he was still in the pig pen in a foreign land. He only received him when he came home humble and repentant. The scriptures even tell us that the prodigal son was lost and dead while he lived in sin away from his father. It was only when he returned home that his father declared him alive. Let's celebrate. My son that was once dead is now alive. So one of the doctrines is election and predestination. And this, this is something that many of you have been taught, uh, especially in your school system in Zimbabwe. And uh, this is where Paul uh, extends another portion of his scripture that have been twisted by many to their own destruction. And that's in Romans 9, uh, chapters 9 through 11. And, and there are people in the body of Christ who believe and teach that some individuals are chosen to go to heaven while others have been chosen by God to go to hell. They also add to this idea the delusion that it does not matter what a person may do in order to change their fate. They believe and they teach that everyone will go where they have been predestined to spend eternity. Now, we understand that God chose Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles by grace, but Paul understood that even he could fall away from God and be lost. Therefore, and this is clear. Uh, Paul believed in a conditional election, which is based on our response to God's unmerited favor and his predestined plan for our lives. You see, we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God in Christ. In Christ. There's the secret. It's in Christ. Our election is sure in Christ. This is why Peter wrote 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 2 through 11, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And to knowledge, we're supposed to add some things. He says, he says, add to your faith virtue and add to your virtue uh, knowledge and to knowledge temperance and to temperance patience and to patience godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. We talked about, we're going to be talking, about, well, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He says, if these things are in you and abound, they make you, you shall not be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see far off and has forgotten that he was purged of his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so God, or, or, or for an entrance, shall be ministered unto you abundantly unto the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you hear all that? 
tension in there. God says, if you do this, if you do that, if you do this, if you do that, there'll be an entrance into the kingdom of God for you. You can make your calling and election sure. See, last month I taught a whole series on this passage of Scripture. But I want you to see that we're told to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. See, according to this passage, we are responsible to do the things that are listed in these verses. And if we do them, then an entrance is ministered to us unto an everlasting kingdom, the, the, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, God doesn't force us to do his will. That's why the word if is so important. The word if makes it absolutely unmistakable that election is conditional being based on our decisions. Now, I know that this drives Calvinists crazy, but their fatalistic ideas about predestination and the sovereignty of God have led many, many, many men and women to hell. Although God does choose people for different purposes in his kingdom, Calvinists quickly forget that the Lord Jesus also chose Judas Iscariot, who fell from his apostolic office because he did not make his election sure. Judas had cast out demons and had moved in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but he has been burning in hell for almost 2,000 years. See, God also chose Saul to be king over Israel, after which the Bible says that he, that Saul, died for his transgression. He was rejected because he sinned by rejecting the word of the Lord. Saul's disobedience cost him his anointing, cost him his kingdom, and eventually his life. The prophet Saul even told, or the prophet Samuel, I should say, even told Saul, that the kingdom was rent or torn from him and given to a neighbor of his that was better than him. Saul's sin cost him his election. As we've seen, the proponents of unconditional election will make the majority of their arguments with the so-called proof texts that come from the book of Romans. Uh, and I think we've successfully kind of dismantled those. But this is a book that was clearly authored by Paul. But as I said earlier, I want to listen to the warning that is issued by the Apostle Peter. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, listen to what the Bible says. Listen to what Peter says. He says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, has written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle with, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Rather, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. See, here's what Peter's saying. He's clearly saying that some of the things that Paul wrote were hard to understand, which some people who are unlearned and unstable wrestle with, and they twist, as they do with the other scriptures. And they do this unto their own destruction. Then here's the warning. Listen to his warning. You, beloved, seeing that you know these things ahead of time, Beware, lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfast.
steadfastness. This passage lets us know that some people twist Paul's writings in such a way that Peter had to caution them not to fall away from Jesus. In fact, the theme of this entire book of 2 Peter is an admonition to the Christians not to go back into the pollution of the world, which is sin. The end of 2 Peter, chapter 2, spells this out so plainly. In fact, more plainly than anywhere else in the Bible. Listen to what 2 Peter says. In 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 20 and 20, through 22, it says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. Their latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment that was delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Whew. It just doesn't get any plainer than that. Biblically, there is only one way to be cleansed from the pollutions of the world, and that's to be washed in the blood of Jesus through faith and repentance. So this passage is saying that if a blood-washed believer goes back to the pollutions of the world, that is a sinful lifestyle and is overcome by that world, then their end will be worse than the beginning. After that statement, Peter even clarifies what he meant by saying, and it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, that they, that after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. You know, it's hard to deliver the scriptures sometimes because they're so straight and so powerful. Now, if a person has never known the way of righteousness, then I must ask you a question. Where are they going to spend eternity? See, any true Christian knows the answer to that question. People who have never known the Lord, who is the way of righteousness, will go to hell when they die. So this passage is telling us that he will be worse, or that it will be worse for the backslider who knew the Lord and turned away. Again, this warning from 2 Peter couldn't be made any plainer. Best-selling author and a friend of mine, uh, John Bevere, he made comments about this same passage of Scripture uh, from his book uh, in, called The Bait of Satan. And he was unloading on this passage of, of uh, 2 Peter. And he says, Concerning the sin of unforgiveness and in reference to the servant who would not forgive the minor debt of his fellow servant after his master had forgiven him a huge debt. The unforgiving servant had to pay the original, the original unpayable debt. He was required to do the impossible. It is like our being required to pay the debt that Jesus paid at Calvary. We would lose our salvation. Wait a minute. You say, I thought once a person prayed the sinner's prayer and committed his life to Jesus, he could never be lost. If you believe that, then explain why Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2, 20-21. This is what John quotes. And he went on to say, and that's what we just read. He said, 
that Peter was talking about people who had escaped sin, the pollutions of the world, through salvation in Jesus Christ. However, they were again entangled by sin. And that could be the sin of unforgiveness. It could be almost any sin. And they're overcome by it. You see, to be overcome meant that they did not return to the Lord. They did not repent after their willful sin. They didn't repent from their willful sins. Peter stated that turning from righteousness was worse than never knowing it at all. In other words, God is saying it is better to never have gotten saved than to receive the gift of eternal life and then turn from it permanently. You can read that in John's book, uh, The Bait of Satan. And those are pages 138 and 39 if you're interested. Uh, but uh, I, I think that when he stated that, that's a pretty powerful statement because it's the truth. See, Paul also brought us this truth uh, into perspective. He, he brings it into a place that we can see it. And he continued in his letter to the Romans. And the Roman Christians, uh, they, were, they, they had some issues that they were dealing with. In Romans 11, verses 19 through 22, speaking to the Gentiles who had been grafted into God's olive tree. He said this, Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off, and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward you and towards me, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you shall also be cut off. It doesn't get plainer than that. Once again, we see that election is conditional, being based on choices. Paul unashamedly told those who were in Christ by the election of grace that if they did not continue in his goodness, then they would be cut off. Cut off how? Obviously, just like the unbelief of the Jews who rejected Messiah. And to reject him is to, to reject the way to eternal life. Now, I know this is strong language, but it is from the Word of God. Could it be said any clearer? Therefore, even the twisted teachings on election or predestination cannot be used to substantiate the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. Apart from all of the discussions, just being a doctrinal debate, let me reiterate the heart of the matter. The fact is that there are souls at stake. And there are many people that are going to suffer in the flames of eternal torment because they have been spoon-fed a false hope through this lukewarm gospel. Paul says, do not be entangled again in the, in the yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the liberty whereof Christ made us free. You know, I even know pastors who believe that they're going to go to heaven while they're still right now living in fornication and adultery or uncontrollable anger or lust and unforgiveness. And, and, and the sad common thread is that they believe that once they are saved, they're always saved. And they refuse to deal with the sin in their lives. Paul told Timothy that they have given heed to the doctrine of demons. And now their consciences are seared with a hot iron. They do not feel the intense conviction of the Holy Spirit because they have convinced themselves that they are eternally secure. Here's what's amazing. They won't listen to anyone. They've hardened their heart through the deceitfulness of sin. And if they continue in that hardness of heart, 
They'll be sentenced to the horrible pit of hell, the place where the worm does not die and where the fire is not quenched. You know, we don't preach much about hell anymore, or fire, or eternity. But I do so because I desire to see a revival in our land. I know that revival doesn't come from education alone or from a, a group of elite religious leaders who declare we're going to have revival. God comes in power when preachers and the church walk out of their prayer closets and they proclaim the hard sayings of the Bible in a way that will prick and convict the hearts of the backslidden, backslidden Christians and lost sinners. Peter could have been sweet on the day of Pentecost and he could have told the crowd how much God loved them. But instead he told them that they had murdered the Messiah. This hard truth came out for I came out of 10 days of unceasing prayer and an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And in response to Peter's anointed message, God convicted over 3,000 men of their sin and caused 3,000 heads of families to ask. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Notice that Peter didn't say, well, just say this prayer and you'll be saved. Or, or here, sign this sign-up card and you'll be taken care of. Or just believe. No, listen to what his message was. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the, holy gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> May all of us, ministers included, wake up and preach the gospel like Peter did. You see, we live in these perilous times. This is not the day to step back. It's not the day to soft soap things. This isn't the day to be quiet. This is the season. It's the time to look at ourselves in the mirror. It's the time to speak the truth in love. But we can't equivocate any longer. We've got to make up our minds. Whom are we going to serve? Can we begin to serve God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole strength? Because I believe that we will see a great revival. God promised me a revival stemming from this nation, from Zimbabwe, that would spread all over the world. Boy, I see the fingerprints of it already happening. But it's going to take some strong preachers, strong men and women, strong heads of homes to stand up and lead forth Lead our families, lead our soul groups, lead our churches, lead our nation, lead our national leaders into places of repentance, facing issues, and doing so with deep conviction. As I close this series, this teaching, especially in Zimbabwe, you've been taught it, spoon-fed it in our schools. This teaching has ruined our nation. We have people that believe that they are Christians and they steal with impunity, they lie with impunity, their moral fibers are broken. Listen, if we really love Jesus, we'll keep his commandments. If we really love Jesus, we'll hold ourselves in righteousness. One pastor came to me and he said, Pastor, I don't agree with your teaching at all. Uh, but I will err on the side of your teaching 
because I would hate to have people go to hell. So he's changed his point of view. Not because he believes it, but because he sees that to err on the other side could leave many Christians in eternity, lost forever. Today, as you're watching and as I close this series, if God's convicting you, it's not about praying a sinner's prayer. It's about repenting and coming to know him. If you need someone to pray with you, those numbers are on the screen right now. Call someone. Have them pray with you. If you've been convicted, don't leave the conviction. If you are willfully sinning, there's hope for you. But you need to turn back. You need help. We need the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to go back and feed ourselves. You need to feed your spirit, man, so that it can overcome those fleshly desires. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray, and you need to listen to what God has to say to you. And you need the fellowship of strong believers around you. Bad company does corrupt good morals. So if you're looking for a cell group, if you're looking for a way into the church, hey, call that number right now. We're here to help you. We're here to pray with you, or at least get you to somebody that can pray with you. So we love you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for this great congregation, all those under the sound of my voice. And I'm asking today that you would use this message and this series to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Father, my desire is that no man would be condemned, but ultimately no man would be in the condemning fires of hell. Father, that you would deal, starting with me in my heart, I'm asking that you would convict me of my sins, and there are many. Father, that I would willfully keep my focus and my eyes on you, turning to you to do your will. We just simply say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in all of our lives. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. We love you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp. As we go, stay safe, stay blessed, stay connected.